that's a kind of a, a cool vibe of an intro, wasn't it? We could have had like Hey Jude or something since we're actually going to be in, in Jude this morning. Listen, I hope you had a great Independence Day. I hope you enjoyed some time with your family, uh, grilling out maybe, and, and even maybe some fireworks, not downtown, but maybe at your home. The 4th of July, it's always such a fun holiday, isn't it? I mean, it's in the middle of summer. It's a time of eating great food usually, right? And it ends with beautiful explosions in the sky. What's not to love about the 4th of July? So often, though, I, I think when we, we celebrate this day, we get so caught up in, in patriotism and love for country that a lot, oftentimes we forget about its origin. So often, I think we, we, just, we forget about Independence Day is about a freedom that was fought for and won. And in celebrating that freedom, sometimes we forget what it is that compelled those to come to this land so many years ago. It was freedom to practice their Christian faith that caused many to pack up and leave the European continent. It was for freedom of religion that provoked them to leave the countries they loved, the land they know, to come to a land that was unknown. It was for freedom that they signed the Declaration of Independence. It was for freedom that the Bill of Rights were written and adopted. And it, was, and it is this freedom that was gained more than 200 years ago and maintained by our men and women of uniform for 200 plus years that allows us to freely gather in this place today and worship God Almighty. And it's in Him that we find true freedom. I love our men and women of uniform who stand to defend that freedom. I am thankful for their sacrifice. Listen, when I see people in uniform, it's hard for me to not feel a sense of patriotism. After all, I grew up during the height of the Cold War. It was a time when Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and um, Chuck Norris ruled the big screen. It was, it was filled with, with movies that celebrated America and vilified Russia. There was movie after movie that showed America as good and the rest of the world as bad. Unfortunately, in this, Hollywood changed the narrative of what we were fighting for and what we were fighting against. We went from fighting against the evils of a godless society known as communism and fighting for freedom of oppressed people around the world to fighting for it's the all about me mentality. See, American patriotism and freedom, it represented what it represented. It used to be about fighting for those who could not fight for themselves. American patriotism and freedom was about liberty and justice. And to me, that sounds an awful lot like what the Bible tells us about how we should live our lives. We are to fight for the oppressed, the orphan, the widow those who cannot fight for themselves, to stand for justice and mercy, to go into all the world declaring the good news. Somewhere along the line, though, the message changed. Now the message of the American church is go into all the world and tell them how Jesus can bless them with material wealth, how if you name it, you can claim it. That's because now 
American freedom, no matter what side of the aisle you stand on, is all about me, my cause, what I want. And if you aren't supporting me and my ideas, then watch out because I'm about to destroy you on social media. It's not left or right. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's not conservative or liberal. It's all of the above. We are equal opportunity offenders. We'll offend everybody, and we'll be offended by everybody. The, the it's about me attitude has permeated so deeply within our society that now people have made the freedom which men spilled their blood for on a battlefield 240 plus years ago about whether or not they can choose not to wear a mask or be forced to wear one. It's a shame that it's, it's, it's gone from, from celebrating freedom to it's all about me. Again, I love our country, and I love those who fight for it, so don't misunderstand when I say I believe one of the greatest problems with the Western church today is this brand of freedom and patriotism. See, it's, it's replaced the gospel message. It's replaced the gospel message within the church. No longer is the good news about what Jesus did, his work upon the cross, but rather what he can do for you now. In him, you can have great blessings of material wealth beyond your measure. You see, it should come as no surprise as the word of God clearly states this would happen in the end times. It says, even the elect will fall away. Men will no longer tolerate sound doctrine. Instead, they will look for things that tickle their ears. Who doesn't want to hear the message of prosperity? Who doesn't want to hear about a grace that will allow you to do whatever you want, to live however you want? I'm here to tell you this morning, that's not the gospel message. Over these next weeks, we're going to be looking at some different books in the Bible that speak to what Christ has done and how we are called to live. Our time on Sunday morning is way too valuable, and your life is way too short for us to spend our time here trying to handpick a few verses out of Scripture and twist them into a clever message so that I can tell you how, how God is going to make all of your material dreams come true so that you can satisfy your flesh. Because that's not the gospel message. So we're going to kick off our time over these next weeks this morning with a short series from the book of Jude. And I say short series because it's a short book. If you're not familiar with it, the entire book is about a page, maybe a page and a half, depending on your Bible. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you don't know where it is, go to Revelation, turn back one page. There it is in its entirety. All of it. The book of Jude is a challenge to believers to contend for the faith, to stand firm against false teaching. You find it? If you're there in Jude, let's read the first few verses. Jude 1, verse number 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love, be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, 
who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord and our the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stop right there. It should come as no surprise when I say this. Many false teachings are prominent within the church today. But listen to me. They cannot remain. They should not remain. We must stand against them. God's Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. He gives us discernment to see this and to, to, to the strength to stand against these things. The book of Jude, it gives us some great advice on how we can do just that. It also tells us who we are in him. And let me tell you, if you're going to walk in all that God has called you to do, if you're going to stand, if you're going to stand for sound doctrine, you've got to know who you are in Christ. That's where it starts. Jude opens this letter actually by introducing himself. He, he says he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is language you see used over and over again throughout the New Testament. Paul used it as, as well. It, this, this passage was written during a time of the Roman Empire. Or in fact, the entire New Testament was written during a time of the Roman Empire where, where many historians believe as many as one-third of the entire population of the Roman Empire were actually bondservants. So for Jude to say, I'm a bondservant, is language that they would have been very familiar with. Nobody had to wonder, what does that mean when he says, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ? See, a bondservant was, was in a person who was in permanent service. They were considered property, and they had no right to leave that role. The writers of the New Testament would write about freedom for sure, freedom from sin, but at the same time, they would, they would write about being this bondservant. They knew that they were purchased at a price. They were purchased at a price that they could never pay. You see, there's a huge difference between being an indentured servant, which was also something that people would have known about, and being a bondservant. An indentured servant is in service only until his debt is paid. Then they're free. A bondservant is for life. Notice they don't write about this. None of the writers write about this in a complaining tone, though, do they? They don't say, oh, man, I can't believe it. I'm a bondservant to Christ. Oftentimes, we talk about our jobs that we're free to leave at any time in horrible terms. Yet the writers of the New Testament tend to open their letters with, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ as if it's a badge of honor. See, we want to focus on the freedom we have, and the writers of the New Testament wanted to focus on how they were slaves to Jesus. Yes, we are free. We are free from sin. But that's not the focus today, is it? I don't often see Christians post about how they are free from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't often hear that, see them post about how they are free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, what I see them post more about is, I am free as an American to do what I want, when I want, how I want. To me, that sounds a whole lot like the group of people that they're writing to here in the New Testament. Writing to with letters of correction. Listen to what, 
verses 3 and 4 say in the Amplified Version? Beloved, my whole concern was to write to you in regard to our common salvation. But I found it necessary and was impelled to write to you and urgently appeal to and exhort you to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, the faith which is that some of Christian belief which was delivered verbally to the holy people of God. For certain men have crept in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. Their doom was predicted long ago, ungodly persons who pervert the grace the spiritual blessings and favor of our God into lawlessness and wantonness and immorality and disown and deny our sole master and Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. See, Jude's short letter could have been written directly to the church body of 2020, 2020. That was hard. I like lost my voice halfway in between there. It could have been written to the church of today. I mean, it sounds like it was written to the church of today. Jude, Jude is like, I wanted to write a long, loving letter talking to you about this great common salvation that we share. But I had to put that off. This matter was so urgent, I had to put that on hold. He's like, I, I heard about what you were allowing. I heard about this perverted grace that says, Live your life freely, however you want to live. And I had to say something about it. I couldn't let it go on. So I had to write this short letter to you right now. We ought to read it with that urgency that, that Jude, Jude's writing. He's like, listen, this is important. It couldn't wait. I had so much more I wanted to say, but I had to stop and get this to you right away. We are living in the last days just before Christ's return. He could come at any moment. It says in a twinkling of an eye. We ought to be living our lives as such. We need to be telling the world about Jesus who came, how he paid the price for their sin. Not about you can name it, claim it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to be actively involved in the work of Christ, not because we're trying to earn our freedom. The price for our freedom has already been paid. He freed us from sin. He didn't free us so we could sin. The second thing Jude says in this passage is this. He says he's the brother of James. In saying this, he's connecting himself to someone who is already very well known. It's believed this letter could have been written as late as 90 A.D., and by that time, James was known as an elder throughout the, the whole area, throughout the early church. So Jude, in the beginning of this letter, he's stating his credentials. He's saying, listen, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and I'm a brother of James. He wanted people to know you need to receive this with authority. However, if you knew who James and Jude were, you might think that this is a little bit strange in the way that he introduces himself as only the brother of James. You see, James and Jude were also half-brothers to Jesus himself. Could you imagine how that must have been growing up? If you grew up with a sibling who never seemed to get in trouble, or at least that's how you remember it, because I'm sure they actually did get in trouble, but you remember... 
they never got in trouble. It's kind of annoying, right? But what about if your brother was really actually perfect, who never made any mistakes? Can you imagine the mom and dad, Mary and Joseph? They'd be like, why can't you just be more like your brother Jesus? That had to be tough. They didn't know growing up, though, that their brother Jesus was actually God in the flesh. They didn't even believe he was the Messiah. The Bible gives us every indication they didn't even come to faith until after the resurrection. But you need to understand that's actually incredible testimony because they grew up with Jesus. They grew up with him day and night. They knew him. And when they heard of his resurrection, they knew he was the Christ. In the statement, brother of James, here's what you can learn, though. Jude is a person who walked in humility. He could have announced, I probably would have announced if I was him in my letter, hey, this is me, Jude. You know, Jesus, he's my big brother. So what I'm about to tell you, you need to listen to. But his only claim in his letter was this. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Humility. There's so much. We could, we could spend the whole day just on that one thing by him saying, I'm a brother of James. After Jude tells the audience who he is, though, he reminds them of who they are. That's where I want to spend a little time this morning. He says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. He gives three statements there to who he is writing to. And in the same thing, he's telling us who we are as well, who we are in Christ. The first thing you need to know is this. Church, you are called. You're called. He's writing this letter to those who are called. So what's that mean? It's me, it, it means it's God who, who speaks to our spirit. It's God who draws us to him. We weren't out there searching for him as an answer for us on how we can overcome sin. It was God that was pulling. It was God that was tugging. It was God that was drawing us to him. Paul tells us in Ephesians, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ, to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. All people fall into that category right there where you are called. All people fall into that. All people are called. The, the word says it's God's will that none should perish. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. So, so he's calling out to all. His spirit is drawing. All creation senses the pull the question becomes, will we respond? Will we say yes to the call? Will we say yes to his love? Will we say yes to his forgiveness? Will we see, say yes to being connected to him as a bond servant? If your answer is yes, Lord, then the second thing you need to know is this. You're sanctified. What's that mean? 
The word sanctified is actually the Greek word right there. It's hagiazo. It's the same word that is also translated as holy, holiness, or saints. The word basically means this, to be separated, to be set apart, to be different. Meaning what? Meaning we are to live our life pure, sinless, righteous, holy. You see, something holy is set apart. It's separated. That means we are to be different from all the other things and people of the world. It's something that God does. He sets us aside. We don't make ourselves holy. God separates us. God sanctifies us. 1 Peter 1.5 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. When things are associated with God, they are said to be holy. When God confronted Moses in the wilderness, the burning bush, you remember the story? He, he says to, to Moses, he says, take off your sandals for the place where your feet is holy ground. Even the ground that was associated with God was considered holy. In the inner part of the temple was located, was where the Ark of the Covenant was located, which is what? It was the resting place of God. And what was it called? The Holy of Holies. The mount where Jesus was transfigured, that mount was called holy. Church, you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are now where the Holy Spirit resides. That means you are set apart. You are to be holy. How can that which God resides within be about themselves and considered holy? How can we say we are free to do whatever we want and yet be set apart? Church, we are called to be holy, and that means our lives need to look different. You have been associated with God. You are called and you are sanctified. Your life needs to represent that fact. You're called, you're sanctified. Finally, this is what you are. You need to know that you are preserved. This one takes a little bit of unpacking. Because if you're not careful, you don't read this with, in conjunction with verse number four, you're going to end up exactly where Jude said with the perverted grace. Because if you just read this as you're preserved, you're, you're going to be like, I can do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. Oh, that's the American gospel, isn't it? That word there in the Greek means to be kept, to be guarded, to be watched after. God keeps the believer. God guards and watches over him. You, as a believer, are preserved, meaning you are one who is watched over by God Almighty. You are one who is guided, guided daily by His Holy Spirit. You are one who is strengthened by God. Didn't we just sing that earlier? Strength will rise as I wait upon the Lord. It is God that strengthens you. He strengthens you so that you can walk through all kinds of trials in life. 
God is the one who protects us from the enemies of this life. He protects us even from death itself. He's also the one that keeps us and brings us into heaven quicker than a blink of an eye. He's the one who has given life both abundant and eternal. You are preserved. You don't keep yourself. It's God who keeps you. Rachel and I were out at Opry Mills this last week, and we were there in the food court, and we overheard what we guessed to be a grandmother talking to her, her grandkids. She said, if you don't want to hold my hand, then just hold my belt loop. That way I'll know that you're there. Rachel's like, what? Are you kidding me? No way. She said, that's one thing our kids are never going to have to worry about with me. They, they're not going to have to worry if I'm going to lose their children. I am not going to lose a, a grandkid. I'm going to have a leash. I said, they're going to walk you? She said, I'm going to have two leashes, one for them and one for me. She said, we're going to be tethered together. There's not going to be any kind of separation. You see, because kids will let go. I don't know what that grandmother was thinking. Just hold on my belt loop. I'll know you're there. Okay. Kids get easily distracted. Kids will see something shiny and new and, and dart towards it. And maybe grandma will too. I don't know. She sees something shiny and new, and she wants to go, too. Kids will get tired of holding on. Kids will let go. Aren't we the same? Don't we sometimes get tired of holding on? Don't we sometimes see the next shiny thing and, and want to move towards it? But the word says there in, in Jude... Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Preserved in Jesus Christ. God has us. His word says that nothing can separate us from his love. His word says that he holds us in his strong right hand. He isn't asking us to hold his belt loop. He isn't saying, just hold on as long as you can. He's saying, rest in me. I got you. You see, no matter what you're going through, he's there with you. When we get distracted, he's there to pull us close. When we get tired and we feel like giving up, he holds on tight. He doesn't let loose. Church, if you don't know him, I'm here to tell you today he's calling you. He's pulling you towards him. He's calling you to set you apart. Listen to what Jude says in verse number two. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. His mercy was so great that he literally paid the price of your sin with his very life. He became your sin upon the cross. He shed his blood so that you could be set free, true freedom, free from the curse of sin. 
That's how much he loves you. The only question is this. Will you receive his love? Will you allow him to set you apart? To be holy? To walk in his ways? If so, you can count on this fact. He will keep you. He will preserve you. He will hold you. And he will never let go. This morning I declare verse 1, 2 over you. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. May God's mercy and love be multiplied to you t- towards you this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.